You know, when David sins, when King David makes a mistake, a big mistake, and he made many of them, everybody pays. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is the Bible that we're talking about from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. As we read it, we understand it. We'll look at this 2 Samuel 24 in about five minutes time. But in about 20 minutes time, Corey is coming up with Ryan. Corey. Well, King David takes a threshing floor and makes it arguably one of the most famous places in the entire world. So we're going to be talking about what a threshing floor was even for. Ryan. My segment today documents the closing hours of King David's life and the transfer of the crown to his son Solomon. Yeah, that threshing floor is probably priceless today. Uh, very, very interesting. We'll talk about that. What's your question? Well, fun Friday wrap-up people, team, let's get ready. We got a question anywhere from 2 Samuel chapter 1 all the way through to 24. Second Samuel 24 1 through 14. Again the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Now go throughout all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and count the people, that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are, and may the eyes of my Lord the King see it. But why does my Lord the King desire this thing? Nevertheless, the King's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Therefore Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the King to count the people of Israel. And they crossed over the Jordan, and camped in Erower on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad, and toward Jazer. Then they came to Gilead, and to the land of Tatimhodshai. They came to Dan-Jayan, and around to Sidon. And they came to the stronghold of Tyre, and to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah, as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men. And David's heart condemned him, after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and told him, and he said to him, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? 
Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days' plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. 2 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 14. 2 Samuel 23 and 24. We're continuing to go through the Bible. I'm telling you, it's good. Near the end of his reign, King David chose to take a census of the people of Israel and Judah. Why? While a census like this was acceptable in some circumstances, at this time in David's history, it was not. Even when Joab, the commander of David's army, heard the king's request of a census, he questioned David, tried to dissuade him from it. You know, it's possible that one of the reasons David wanted a census was that he was putting his trust and his pride in his own military rather than God's direction and protection. It could also be that David wanted to bring in more provision because in taking a census, there was a requirement of the people to pay half a shekel of poll tax. Ultimately, we don't know David's reasoning. But we do know what stopped him from listening to good advice around him. We know that he failed his test. David gave in to his temptation. David took a census. God was very displeased. Once David came to realize that he had acted inappropriately, he placed himself and the people into the hands of God because David knew that there was no better place to be than in the mercy of God. I'll tell you what, it's like David knew that song, Amazing Grace. I tell you, this is something that we need to really pay attention to today. Take your Bible guide and turn to it. And I want to remind you, if you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or you can write to us. When you write to us, it'll take a, a few days, maybe seven, eight days. If you call us, it'll be quicker. But if you want to be really quick, go to the website at Bible Discovery TV, where you can watch this program and uh, you can click on the page and it'll take you to the Bible guide page. It'll take you to a donate page. First donate in any amount and we'll send it to you. It's a guide that takes you through the Bible. Very, very interesting. The Bible's most important book you will ever read, and the guide will take you through the Bible. But today, the mercy of God, we need to pray. Father, help us today because we don't feel like giving mercy to anybody, whether it's politics or whatever it is. We don't feel like anybody deserves our mercy. Help us, Lord, to know the difference between our way and your way. You are full of mercy, O oh God. We need to be merciful people. So help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look at 2 Samuel 24. This is, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is interesting. Okay, as we read this, we learn that again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Okay, that's the anger of God. And he moved David against them. Go number the people of Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, commander of the army who was with him, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba 
and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, now, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than they are. And may the eyes of my Lord, the king, see it. But why does the Lord, my king, desire this thing? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and the king and the captains of the army. Therefore, Joab, the captains of the army, went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. When King David sinned, everyone paid the consequences because he was the leader. Leadership comes with great responsibility. We need the Lord's help to guide us. Now, let me just explain this. Fortunately, in these times after the cross, the death and the resurrection, the leader of the church is not a man. Not Billy Graham, who's perished and gone to be with the Lord. Not anybody. The leader of the church is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one in Matthew 16 who introduced the ecclesia of the church. Jesus is our leader. So we need to keep that in mind today. Now, the, the whole answer to that question becomes, an, are we following him properly? That's something to keep in our mind. All right, so let's go back to the scripture in 2 Samuel before the cross, and let's learn more from verse 5. And they crossed over the Jordan and camped in Aurora, on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine, Gad, towards Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tahatim and Hadashai, and they came to Danjan, or Jan, and around to Sidon, and they came to the stronghold of Tyre and to the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. And then they went out to South Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all of the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000 men. After the census, David was given the sum of the military men in Israel, 800,000, and Judah, 500,000. God had defeated many nations with bigger armies than Israel. I need you to understand this. Israel, that seemed like a huge army, and that was a big army. But it was David and his 600 men who did so much damage to the enemies of Israel before he was king. God had done many miracles. So David had all these people who were military, but the problem was that when you obey God, one man can destroy a thousand. When you don't obey God, well, a thousand men from the enemy can destroy a hundred thousand in our friendly camps. David finally got that. That was a problem. All right, so what does that mean? It means this. 2 Samuel 24, here's what it says in verse 10. And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, Thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it for you. 
So Gad came to David and told him, and he said, Shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? Or shall you flee three months before your enemies while they pursue you? Or shall there be three days of plague in your land? Now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. I'll tell you, David was a great king. David realized his sin. We must appeal to the mercy of God, beloved. We must come to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, help me. I need your help today. Father, I pray today through Jesus Christ that you would help us. Forgive us of our sins. And we come to you. Teach us your way. Show us your paths. And help us, Lord. We have failed. In Jesus' name. And we said together, This character of King Saul, this historical figure. Now, I think it's probably fair to say that most of us, when we think of King Saul, we think of the bad guy foil to King David. But an entire book of the Bible is also dedicated to mostly his reign. Of course, that's 1 Samuel. So I'm really excited to jump into it today and see what we can learn about Saul. Well, it's time now to carry on with our Bible study, and I know that our reading today is 2 Samuel chapters 23 and 24, but I want to talk about something that we're going to be reading over the weekend, and that's the transfer of the crown from David to Solomon and the death of David. And this is all in 1 Kings chapters 1 and 2, which, as I mentioned, we're reading tomorrow. And chapter 1 opens with David old and advanced in years and not doing very well at all. But actually, his body start, really started to decline even earlier than that, and we see that when he almost loses his life in a battle a few years earlier. So my segment today documents the last few years of David's life. Check it out. Since the early years of his life, David had proven to be a great military champion with great vigor and energy, even defeating the mighty Philistine giant Goliath. However, many years later in 2 Samuel 21, we see the beginning stages of his physical decline. Now in his mid-60s, he had decided to fight alongside his men in yet another Philistine battle involving even more giants. But this time, the aging David became weary and would certainly have died at the hands of Goliath's relative, Ishbi Banab, if it wasn't for one of his men. After this battle, David's men vowed to him, you shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. The king was definitely on the decline, and then, only a few years later, we find David old and well advanced in years. He was now 70 and his health was really failing him. Bedridden and unable to keep warm, his servants arranged for a beautiful young Shunammite woman named Abishag to take care of him and to lie in his arms, though he does not engage intimately with her, perhaps because he is unable to. As a matter of fact, some scholars suggest that David's servants may have actually been testing his virility. In that day and culture, impotence was a sign of fragility and weakness, and this might very well have been exactly what spurred on his son Adonijah to make an illegitimate attempt at the throne. Fortunately, David's longtime friend and prophet Nathan discovered this conspiracy 
And when he and Bathsheba brought it to David's attention, the king immediately appointed Solomon as the rightful monarch of Israel, firmly securing the kingdom. After David gives important instructions to Solomon, the Bible records his death at the age of 70. It says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in Jerusalem, the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. As the 19th century reverend James Freeman pointed out, this was a departure from the ordinary custom, as the dead were usually buried outside the cities. It was therefore a mark of high honor to the remains of the departed king that he was buried within the city of Jerusalem. Truly, David's death was a massive loss for Israel, as most of his successors proved to be rebellious and godless men who ultimately drove the nation into slavery and exile. Even to this day, the Jews are awaiting a godly king like David, who will be their good shepherd and rule not only Israel but the whole world with righteousness and justice. Thankfully, in the Jewish scriptures, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God promises such a ruler and even reveals his very identity, none other than the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Christ Jesus, God himself. So although there were a few godly kings who would rule on David's throne, for the most part, his successors had no interest in the things of God and ended up driving the nation into exile and slavery. But there is good news. Many of the Jews have returned to Israel since they became an official nation again in 1948, and they're still waiting for a king like David. And the Bible promises that that king is indeed coming. He will bring all his people back to their land and be their good shepherd and lead Israel and the entire world in righteousness and justice. And that king is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Just as all the prophecies concerning the Messiah's first coming were literally fulfilled, so too will all the prophecies concerning his second coming also be literally fulfilled. And time is running out, so make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life. He's coming. We don't know when, but we know this for certain. He is coming. In fact, he is, and uh, Zechariah chapter 7 uh, de defines people coming back to Israel from the distant places. It's a very, very mm -hmm. interesting piece, Ryan. Thank you so much for that. Okay, let's talk about this property, Corey. Yes. Okay. So as we know, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, the last thing that we see David doing recorded here is purchasing the threshing floor of Aruna. I know I'm probably not saying that right. It is what it is. But <laughs> the threshing floor is the important place because this is where Solomon will eventually build the temple of God. And so David, he's not permitted to build the temple, but what he does is he purchases the threshing floor and he sets up an altar there as God instructs him to. So why would a threshing floor be north of the city of David? Why would it be at a higher elevation? And why would it be a good place to make a temple? Uh, let's take a look. In the Bible, harvest time is referenced both as an actual practice and as a useful metaphor. Ancient Israel was an agricultural society. Their very survival depended on farming innovations and consistency. So when the time of reaping their produce came, it was an occasion for great celebration and joy as much as for hard work. The production of cereal grains has been called the backbone of ancient Israelite society and was largely composed of wheat and barley. Let's look at the wheat harvest as a model of harvesting and threshing. 
The wheat harvest took place during the summer and could overlap with the beginning of the grape harvest, making it a very busy and happy time of year. The reaping of wheat came first and could be done by hand or sickle, if by hand the entire plant would be pulled up from the roots. To reap large fields of wheat, whole teams of people would normally be employed. A foreman would oversee the work, and reapers would make their way through the fields armed with sickles of flint or metal, cutting the stalks either halfway, leaving some of the plants still standing as straw for animals to eat or for collection for different use. Wheat stalks could also be cut closer to the head of grain to minimize the work of winnowing later on. After the reapers would come teams of young men and women who would organize the cut stalks into piles and tie them into bundles called sheaves. Once the reaping was completed, the sheaves would be carried to the threshing floor. The location of threshing floors would likely have varied from area to area as they needed to be in windy locations. Here, the stalks of wheat were turned into three products of varying worth, grain, straw, and chaff. The first step of processing the wheat was to cut the plant up to separate the valuable grain seeds from the plant stalks. This could be done by threshing stick, animal, threshing sledge, or threshing wheel. Threshing sticks wielded by harvesters would be used to beat smaller amounts of grain, maybe even for a quick meal or on products that had smaller seeds. Animals like oxen, with or without metal shoes, could be driven over the plants to crush them into pieces. Effective threshing sledges were also drawn by animals. They were boards inlaid with sharp stones and metal to chop the plants. And threshing wheels were carts made with rows of stone and metal inlaid wheels to accomplish the same. The chopped up wheat was then winnowed. Using wooden fork-like shovels, harvesters would throw the mixture high into the air to catch the wind. The different weights of the products meant that the wind would carry them different distances. The light and nearly useless chaff would be carried the farthest, the straw would fall closer to the harvester, and the valuable heavy grain would fall closest to them. The grain would be tossed up for another chance at blowing away remaining chaff and then passed through a few sieves before being measured for taxation and stored for human consumption. So the threshing floor of Aruna that David purchased was higher up than the city of David because it got good wind. And I mean, today when you visit Jerusalem, you can still see that the Temple Mount is higher up than the rest of the city. Uh, now, it was artificially expanded by King Herod, Herod the Great, um, it, during the, just before and during the lifetime of Jesus as well. So uh, it has been changed a lot throughout history, but it's interesting that this is where it all began as a humble threshing floor. Uh, and it made sense for threshing floors to be up high. They needed to get that wind in order to separate the straw, the chaff, and the grain. So there we go. Now, when, when, let's think about this, because when we have the money, when we can go over there, <laughs> we're going to go over there and yeah. we'll do a report in that place because the temple's underneath or the foundations of the temple are underneath. Mm -hmm. And Lord willing, we'll get a chance to go down there and do that. But it is absolutely stunning. That is the priceless, I mean, you can't really put a price on it because nobody would sell it. But no. that's a priceless place today. And it makes sense that 
you know, a threshing floor there makes sense because of just the geography of the land and the topography of the land, but it makes sense why David would want that piece for an altar and for a future temple because it's slightly elevated from the city of David. So it shows its importance. You could see it. It would have a commanding view. It also was more... Um, uh, fortifiable in terms of if someone was going to attack, you know, three sides uh, were pretty much untouchable. Uh, so it made a really good, a really good place for it to be. So it all, it all makes sense. It's very cool. I'm telling you, if the Lord tarries, it is an amazing place. It that's is. for sure. Uh, you're doing something this weekend. Oh, yes. Okay. So this weekend we have uh, the release of our weekend show where my husband and I, uh, we answer viewer questions and, and discussions about the reading that we just read through. So if you would like to check that out, it's just my name, Corey Babechko on YouTube. I also do a 10 minute recap. But if you are hungry for more and deeper Bible study, I have also released a six part Bible study on King Saul. So it takes you through the book of First Samuel. That's available on our website or you can call our offices and, and inquire about it just in case you're interested. Very good. Excellent. And, and uh, that Bible study would work whether you're just a single person yeah. at home wanting exactly. to learn or whether you want to host something yep. in your home to have a Bible study or you can Start do it Bible at your study. church. Yeah, mm -hmm. it comes with discussion questions and all that good stuff. So. Excellent. <laughs> and Excellent speaking material. of questions. Yes. All right. Questions. Does so it come you... with the answer to this question? <laughs> I, so I don't question. know. I don't know. <laughs> all right. All right, so here it is. It's anywhere from 2 Samuel 1 through 24. Here's the question that I decided to go with. What was it that finally trapped Absalom, King David's son? Was that he fell into a pit? His head and hair got caught in tree branches? Or he was cornered by a wild beast in the woods of Ephraim? What is the right answer? Now you guys know this answer. We yeah. do. Well, okay. as, as someone who had long hair. <laughs> and, and how uh, long was your hair? Uh, my, I had yes. hair down to about here at one point uh, <laughs> in my younger years. Um, yeah, so I've got to go with the, the tree. Yeah. Uh, his hair got caught in a tree. Yeah, I wish it was one of the other ones. I really wish mm -hmm. it was one of the other ones, but it, it was the hair. All right. Yeah. Well, if you said that same answer... We're going to read 2 Samuel 18, verse 9, and just make sure that we got the answer right. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. So if you chose the way Ryan and Corey did, his head and hair got caught in tree branches, you're absolutely right. Good job. I'm telling you about Bible Discovery TV because there you can watch this program, you can watch the weekend program, you can watch Ryan's program, and you can watch Beyond the Call. This is a new program about the testimonies of Jesus Christ. It is 
it, it's just so fun to talk about what Jesus has done with people. So go there and you will learn more about it, BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Today we pray and say, Lord, help me to remain in the midst of your great mercy because I need it today in Jesus' name.